Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 158. My guest for today is Jeremy Bohm. If you're tuning in because it's him, then you know who he is. But if not, he is the singer and lyricist for the hardcore band Touche Amour. He's also in the band Hesitation Wounds. He runs a label called Secret Voice. And he is an all-around great human. I'm super, super excited to have him on here. I tell the story later on, so I'm not really going to get into it now. But a big influence on making this episode happen was my friend Brian. And he lives all the way out in Brunei in Southeast Asia. So again, I'll leave that story for the, for the actual conversation that I have with Jeremy. But when I was away, which was obviously like a large, uh, very large moment in my life, leaving my job and going away, for portions of that trip, I had different songs on repeat. I quite literally was just having songs play while I wandered around cities in Asia and in the U.S. and in Africa. And for... A portion of that, specifically when I was in Taiwan, I was listening to the song Green by Touche Amour. The lyrics just fit <laughs> with that moment in my life and still do. It's my favorite song by them. Um, but God, it's so good. And I came back to the States and I did a little stint in in California. And at that time, I started reaching out to Jeremy. And sometimes it takes a little while to make these these episodes happen. And also, like, who am I to a lot of people? Like, I'm just some stranger that messages them. And then I just become really fortunate to get to sit down and talk to people that I have a great admiration for. And that's what happened here. Jeremy was really sweet in, in offering to, to sit down and talk with me. You know, I don't come from, like, the world of media. I don't run, a, like, a punk and hardcore blog. This is not a music podcast. Um, so I am quite fortunate that, as of late, I've been able to make a positive out of this quarantine and sit down with some people, well, digitally sit down through some screens and talk to people that uh, are really inspiring to me. So if you're, if you're into the genre, check out my last few episodes. I have um, Vinny from The Movie Life and I'm The Avalanche. I have Jeff Eaton from Modern Life is War for the third time and I have uh, Jacob Bannon from Converge. All those are in the last, last couple of weeks. You can uh, go to the show notes for this episode and I'll have links to, to Jeremy and to the band if you're unfamiliar with their stuff. Please support bands right now, people. I know there's like a million different things pulling you for support, for support, like your local coffee shop, your local bar, your local restaurants, and then like so many artists. Um, who knows what's going to happen, but as much as you can, support the support the institutions and the people and the, and the bands that, that you want to that you want around when all this ends. And they're a band that I certainly want around for a very long time. So go, you know, grab some merch, grab some records and stuff like that. Hit the, hit the links in the, in the notes for this episode. I'm also going to play the song green that I was just talking about. I'm going to play that right after this intro. So you'll hear that too. Cool. I also have a Patreon. That Patreon goes to keeping these episodes coming. Eventually, I'll be back on the road when things open back up. And um, that obviously is not 
a cheap venture. So I have a Patreon account if you're able to support. If not, hey, that's okay. Five-star ratings and reviews and stuff like that on iTunes, those go a really long way. Or just share this with a friend. If you're home on quarantine, I know there's like so much media that you could be checking out right now. But if you're into into Jeremy, into Touche more, into the genre, then share this with someone you know because that would help me out a lot and it would get some more eyes and ears on this podcast. That'd be really cool. All right. Yeah, this was super, super, super exciting. Um, it's amazing that I've been able to like, I don't know, I don't really have like a bucket list, but I do have a sort of like mental checklist of people I'd really love to talk to. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm running out of band members and, 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 and musicians I like because, um, you know, Jeremy's, Jeremy's really tops. And I think that, you know, just judging from his character and uh, the people that know him and the people that listen to the band, that he's a, he's a stellar dude. So thanks, Jeremy, for doing this. And for everybody, enjoy the song Green that's going to play now and then enjoy our conversation. So again, man, just uh, thank you. Uh, I know there's a million things you could be doing, so 
I appreciate you getting on with a, a total stranger. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where it's, it, it, I, I appreciate the comment, but unfortunately we're at a time where there's not a million things to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like just generally, how have you been holding up? Uh, overall, overall pretty okay. Um, I think everybody's been having ups and downs. Uh, the biggest down has been, um, my girlfriend and I's, uh, dog, unfortunately had to be put down. Um, ah. like, I don't, God, at times moving so slow since especially that happened, but pretty recently, like within the, within the last like week and a half, um, which was super tough, but, uh, she lived to be 16 years old and we, we saw it coming, but. You know, just like the worst time to have something like that happen. But yeah. we're thankful that we were able to both spend as much time with her as we could. You know, it's not like I was out on tour or my girl was at work or having to work. Like we both got to be home with the dog for like, you know, weeks now. So that at least worked out if there was to be a silver lining. But I would say that's, <laughs> that's the worst part of this quarantine. But, you know, it is what it is. We yeah. have a cat to keep us company now, at least still. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. You've uh, I appreciate it. you've been active with a lot of stuff that like I'm a I'm a sucker for like curated lists uh, and like artist recommendations and stuff like that. And you've always kind of oh, yeah. you've always done a lot of that, the kind of like what's in my bag type of stuff. Um, Run for cover. I don't, they had I forget what it was called, but they had something back in the day that you did like a vinyl selection thing for. So that's been cool. I mean, I, I like keeping up with that stuff. Uh, I'm sure that like at least keeps you plugged into into music and entertainment in, in a way, huh? Oh yeah. I mean, I I worked at a record store for something like six or seven years or something like that. And and I think if you do that, you you just sort of have that built-in mentality where you just want to share and you want to like expose as many people to things as you can, you know, just because it's it's exciting to share music, like. I've never, not since I was probably in junior high, did I ever act like a gatekeeper of anything, you know, like I, I enjoy, I enjoy, you know, turning people on to new things and whatever. And, um, I, I figure I'm lucky to have the platform that I, I have as, you know, as, as big or small as it may seem. And, and if I can turn anyone on to anything that it's just exciting. I, I love that. Yeah. And you, your mind with music, you have like that encyclopedic type of mind. Like I'm going to, this is going to, this is pretty high praise, but, um, I really enjoy listening when, when Henry Rollins is on like the biggest podcast that there are. Right. So like he, he was on like Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, and he did Ari Shafir's podcast. And when you hear him like talk about music and records, like he just rattles them off and not even, not even in a pretentious way, but like he'll just say things that you know the list, the the interviewer doesn't maybe even know of or like isn't aware of. But he gets like lost in these like thinking about records and bands and like rare pressings and shit like that. And I, I've seen a bit of that like flicker in your eye when you do those type of curated lists. Uh, so there, listen, there might be a point where like seriously, this is going to sound weird, but you'll be like an Oracle type figure and we're going to need to rely on some of those people. The other day, have you ever heard of a, a band called the disaster? Uh, as in like a punk and hardcore band. Yeah. Called the disaster? Yeah. I, 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 it's funny. I don't, I, I couldn't say that I've listened to them, but as soon as you said that, like I have a, I have a picture in my head of what a record looks like. Do they have like a seven inch? So the, look it up. 
I'm thinking of, they had an album black and white and red all over. They're from, I think they're from Rochester. But okay. I, bring, I bring it up to say that um, you can't find their stuff anywhere anymore. Like it, it, what was it on? Not Triple Crown. Endwell Records, I think, was a, a record label from upstate. Uh, but you okay. can't, it's, it's gone, right? And like probably the two largest catalogs of music nowadays are like Spotify and iTunes, right? Um, right, right. It's not, it's clearly not on that stuff, but like you can't find the digital, ver- like you can't find MP3s anywhere. So in like in 2050, does that just blink out of existence and it's gone? You know, so like <laughs> we're going to be, we're going to be relying on people who have these like just crates of records and this like encyclopedic knowledge of music to, to keep that stuff alive. Oh. Yeah. It's funny. I just, I went on Discogs and I looked up their, their records and I, it, I see the seven inch in, in the, it's called like with years left to go. Like I, I immediately, I have a very like photographic memory. And as soon as you said that, I like, I pictured what that seven inch cover looks like, but I, I couldn't say that I listened to it. And the reason it stands out to me is because there's a band that I like from Connecticut, that band, uh, the distance mm-hmm. that seven inch on bridge nine. And and whenever there's like a band name that is slightly close or similar, like when I'm flipping through records, I, it stands out to me because I'm like, oh, I, oh, it's not the distance, it's this other thing. So I've actually never checked that out, but um, I, I, I absolutely recognize the cover. And to your point, what you were saying, I think once turntables in the last, you know, 10 years started to have the ability to plug into a computer so you can like rip music off of vinyl, I think that there's a lot of... Uh, you know, geeks and nerds out there that are, that find that same joy of sharing where they've been ripping all those records that aren't on Spotify and aren't on those platforms. And they are putting them up on YouTube of all places. So I'll bet if you search like the, you know, the disaster on YouTube, that whole record is probably on there because someone did that, you know? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's really cool. I don't know. I had this vision in my mind of like, um, if you think of like, I don't know his name, but like Michael Caine's character in like Children of Men was like this guy with like all these books that are like out of print right. and now illegal and they come and they, and they kill him. But, um, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. That's a funny, that's a funny uh, comparison. Um, I hope it doesn't get that way. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, so, uh, this is going to be a bit of a, of a long story. If you can tell, like, if you couldn't tell, I go on some, some tangents and, and kind of get lost in what I'm saying sometimes. But I think I, I first reached out to you, I think it was early last year. Um, yeah. I had just come back from overseas. I quit my job. I went to Asia for like six months and then I was between New York and like kicking around the country a bit. And I was in California for two weeks, but, um, when I was overseas, I, I was in Indonesia and it's not terribly, not terribly far from a country called Brunei. Uh, if you're not familiar with Brunei, it's tiny. It's attached, yeah. it's attached to a landmass of the Borneo landmass. So it, it's part Malaysia, part Indonesia, and then this tiny little country of, of Brunei. Um, it's a sultanate. It has Sharia law, right? So, um, if anybody's unaware, that's like ultra conservative version of Islam. And, um, without being like too judgy and and really like hypercritical, 
a lot of what people would think of as like humanitarian type of values and like real liberal liberal ideas are not really cool there. Like, um, you know, like same-sex marriage. Um, a lot of the freedoms that we enjoy or as best as we can enjoy here in the States, uh, they don't have. Now, it's a, a wealthy country. I think they, they have like this like really long contract with Shell. So oil is like the economy. And it's a tiny country, so you can like drive across it in like three hours. Um, but there's no live music um, to the point where even in, in Southeast Asia, a lot of places will have people doing like cover music. And it's a thing you do. Like even like out in front of a fast food restaurant, there'll be a guy with a guitar doing covers and people just sit and watch because you get to hear some music. Uh, they don't have that. You likely know that like karaoke is a big thing in parts of Asia, Southeast Asia, no karaoke allowed. Um, so needless to say, like you're not going and seeing like punk and hardcore bands. Um, I became, I was looking for people to talk to for the podcast and I came across this guy, Brian. He, uh, he runs a barbershop and they do like modern type of, or modern, maybe like they're kind of modern today, but like old school type of haircuts, which also doesn't quite fit with like the conservative style of dress in Brunei. He also, he's got, he's like covered in tattoos, which is like haram and, and not something you really see there. So I came at it talking to him through that lens of like, wow, this is a really cool juxtaposition of a guy who is in a place where some of these things might get him in trouble. I don't know. I'd like to learn from him. So I met him and we hung out a bit and I found out like he's in a, he's in some bands, uh, a band called Surviving Monday. He has a new band called um, Gorilla Orchestra. But he picked me up in his truck and he drove me around a lot and we're driving in his truck and he's playing Touche more. And I'm like, whoa, like... This is kind of crazy. And if my first thought is like, wow, like, you know that band? But then the second thought is like, yeah, it's a really, it's a really global world, obviously. Like, that, that's not too shocking. But if you dissect it a little bit, um, that had to cross a language barrier. It had to cross a physical barrier. There's really no way to consume a lot of media there. Even like Hollywood films that they get, they're, they're, they're censored, they're edited. I unfortunately like... Fortunately, unfortunately, saw that movie, The Meg, when I was there. And like, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's censored. Um, so I say that to say like, they, there's not the access. I mean, you likely, you run a label. A lot of times mail order won't uh, be sent to certain places where like it's presumed that a lot of scams might happen and like there won't be a return on the money. Uh, so there's not a lot of access. And Recently, I, I reached out to like people who listen. I was like, hey, like, who would you like to see on the podcast? And he reached out and he's like, oh, get, get Jeremy on. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, okay. that, that's so crazy. I remember like being in your truck and you're, like, you were playing his music. And he, he said, you, like, you have no idea how much he's influenced me. He, like, his music made me want to start a band. Like, stage four to me is like, so perfect, you know, start to finish. And he's had this monumental effect on me. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm overthinking it, but I just think like to cross all those barriers and to have that type of effect on someone. And, you know, obviously he's not the only one around the world. It's like a monumental type of influence and power that I don't really think has ever existed before. Like, I, I don't know if you ever think about those types of things. Like, you know, you're, you're a hardcore kid at heart, right? And like a metal kid and I don't know. 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's really flattering and that's really cool. We we were lucky enough to play a couple shows in Southeast Asia, but and I'm wondering how, if he, do you know if he was able to come out to Indonesia or Malaysia, if he like saw us on that by chance or did you, you know have to say? I don't know. I'll have I mean, to ask him. Regardless, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm going to say some weird things, but if you even think about like the reach of like historical figures, right? Like you think about... like a Napoleon, right? (laughs) Who wanted like this global reach. Uh, Like this hasn't ever existed before. The type of, the way that you can impact someone in all corners of the globe. And like you, again, like maybe like hardcore kids will roll their eyes if they hear this, but um, you do have a reach that I think is like a really important and influential thing. I don't know if you ever like sit and, and just like digest that and think about it. Uh, I found that it's, it's healthier if I don't, Mm. (laughs) because it's, it's like a, it's a level, it's like you're then, um, competing between, uh, ego and, um, just overall sort of anxiety at the same time because you're like, oh man, I could, you know, what I say can matter to all these people, but then at the same time, what I can say can matter to all these people. So it's like, it's a double-edged sword. So I just try to, you know, day by day it. And, and um, if if anything, you know, influences or excites somebody or, or has an impact on somebody, I just, you know, I, I, I think it's wonderful. But I, I try not to focus too much on it because it, it is, it can be freaky, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I, because like, I don't have that sort of influence, but I, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, you, you bring up a cool point too. You know, I, I try to see bands in any country that I'm in and for that part of the world, the appreciation is so great because yeah, like you mentioned, like bands will play Jakarta in Indonesia and like, uh, KL in Malaysia. These are like some massive hubs of, and there's so many bands out there, but like you could be a kid from, um, maybe in the Philippines or Taiwan or something. And like, you might have to fly to another country to see a band who maybe gets to play Southeast Asia once. So that's gotta totally. be such a heavy and exciting feeling to get to go see that band. Oh yeah. I mean, we got, we did a, we played a bunker, like a, like an abandoned army bunker in Singapore. Whoa. And then, uh, then we played in Kuala Lumpur. Um, and then we played Jakarta and then drove 15 hours to play Jog Jakarta oh. and then drove 15 hours back right after the show to, uh, to fly out of Jakarta to then go to uh, Europe for six weeks. Whoa. And right before we went to Southeast Asia, we were in Australia for two weeks. And before Australia, we did a six-week U.S. tour. It was nonstop for like almost four months. And uh, we we were... We were held together by spit and a wish by the end of that <laughs> by the end of that European tour, but it was an experience that none of us would ever take back. But it was like we we suffered so much, like just raging anxiety between like never really knowing what's going on to almost being deported out of Australia because of uh, the Australia promoter fucking up our visas and like all sorts of stuff went super wrong. Um, there was a, an airport in Southeast Asia where the promoter had booked our flights wrong to where like each member of the band was only allowed to carry 15, 
uh, I think it was like 15 kilos of weight. And we had not only equipment with us, but we had our personal belongings that were going to last us four months, um, like our suitcases that were obviously big. And uh, and um, we were told like every kilo after those 15 was going to be oh, yeah. uh, 100 American dollars. So for instance, just our, for our drummer alone to fly for an hour and a half was going to cost uh, almost $2,000. Whoa. And we basically just had to have like a standoff with the, with uh, the manager there just being like, that's not going to work for us. Yeah. So we need to be on this flight. What can you do? And we ended up like shoving like, like winter boots and all sorts of stuff, like in our sweatshirt pockets and oh, like man. anything we could in our backpack to lower the weight. Like it was so fucked up, um, but we somehow made it. But I, it's, again, it's experiences that I would never take back. But at the same time, like, definitely took at least 12 years off my life. That yeah. four months. <laughs> you know, I've thought about this with a lot of musicians I've had on and I haven't asked it, but you know, those types of things when I'm traveling, like they're terrible in the moment, but they do make for good travel stories. But yeah. And, and I don't know if you want to call like your bands, your job, maybe, maybe you do, but like, you know, I have like many bad days at work and like, obviously like we all know, like there's things that go wrong. Like there's, there's shady promoters, but have you ever had a day where it's just like, I don't like, I don't want to perform today. Like I don't want to show up to work. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, there's, there's been, uh, there's been tours that weren't the most fun and there's been, you know, you, you deal with, you know, maybe you just drove the, I mean, especially in like DIY days, you know, like you drive 10 hours and then you show up and you realize the show's been canceled, yeah, you know, yeah. things like that, that happen, especially, you know, I, I don't know that enough credit, maybe, maybe it does, but I don't know that enough credit really gets given to, to bands in like the real DIY days or the bands that are living it right now, because you do go through that. I mean, you go through long, long drives to then find out that the promoter double booked the venue with something else or like, you know, shows fall through last minute or, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and those are the moments that really test your ability to stick with it. And, um, it really also, uh, helps a band kind of figure out who can last you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, cause there's certain members that just can't hang with that stuff. And, and it's understandable. I wouldn't fault anyone for it. Like it can be really trying. Um, so when bands, you know, when a DIY, when a DIY band breaks up after a tour or in the middle of a tour, I'm never like cowards. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I can imagine, you know, it's tough. Whereas, you know, you get a little soft and you get a little spoiled once you, you know, have a booking agent and stuff like that. I'm not going to say it's all perfect. There's plenty of challenges still, but like your challenges just become different. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just different things that spark that level of like the thought of giving up, but thankfully myself and, and the members of my band are all sort of, wired to this life now to where like I, I when I'm on tour I'm never 
I'm never like, oh man, I can't wait to get home because it's always the situation of like the grass is always greener. You know, once I'm home for like a month, I'm like, fuck, I wish I was on tour. But once you're yeah. on tour for a month, you're like, fuck, I kind of wish I was home. So, you know, I, I think we can all kind of, we all know how to kind of live and, and make it work. But um, I can say that there's probably festivals uh, that if I could take back, I would, you know, mm. whereas like they were just a bad time. Um, but you know, a lot of times festivals, especially in the middle of tours are, uh, necessity because oftentimes, especially say in Europe, or if you're traveling overseas, those festivals are what probably paid for at least a portion of your flight over. Yeah. So they're necessity. Um, but we always, I always am looking forward to a more personal experience, a more you know, club-like experience, a more intimate experience. Um, so yeah, uh, there's always, yeah, the, the, that was a long answer for, no, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, there are days where, you know, it does feel like a job and it sucks because I actually told myself a long time ago that like once this, you know, I, I had some punk rock epiphany, which is actually, I think genuinely bullshit. If I'm being honest with myself, where I was like, the minute this feels like a job, I'm quitting, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, but then you're like, you know, there's worse jobs out there. I, I guess I can deal with a bad day, you know? Yeah, for sure. Who was um, who was on the Southeast Asian leg of that tour? Did you pick up someone from Southeast Asia or were you with someone from the States? We were, we were, we were playing with locals every night. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was funny too because I remember someone telling us, like, I think it was the band Camadre who were from California here. I remember them being like, oh yeah, Indonesia's, or like all, like all of Southeast Asia's a trip, like, you'll show up and you'll realize that there's like 15 bands on the show. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, and, and it's like, anyone else would say that is a festival. But to them, they're just like, no, we just want to have a long show. And I remember in like Jog Jakarta, uh, or no, it was Jakarta. Uh, we, there was, I think over 12 bands on the show and they had us playing last and everyone was using the same gear throughout the whole show. Oh, shit. So the drums and the amps were just like beat to shit, like hardly, hardly being loud, like just so wrecked. But we were like, what, you know, fuck it. Like we're here. What are we going to do? We, just, we have no choice. Like we're going to just try to make the best of it. And it was fun. It was awesome. And kids showed up, huh? Oh yeah. Like, those, I mean, those are some of the wildest wildest turnouts and you know above then we're so fortunate to have been able to play so many countries where you know like you were mentioning where the music somehow made its way over there and connected with people and and english-speaking country or not and like the that those shows were the most like holy shit i can't i don't understand how people in singapore are singing our words like that is so overwhelming and crazy um and it's also the place where you feel most like the Beatles in the sense of like everybody wants to take a picture with you. Like every single person wants to take a picture. So yeah. it was like very crazy feeling for that too. Um, and also like merch being sold, like you, you know, you run out of smalls really quickly and then all of a sudden you have a bunch, bunch of XLs and there's like, you know, four foot two women who are like, I'll take the, I'll take the XL. <laughs> like, okay. That's cool. Like I feel bad, but cool. Um, yeah, it was a very overwhelming experience that, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade for the world. Well, I think, and I, I won't keep all the questions 
as like heavy topics. But I think maybe like one of the reasons why, you know, you're, you're able to catch on in all corners of the globe is, is honestly your lyrics, right? Like, so we can say like, I, I love, I love the music. I love the total package. Um, but you know, I think you're talking about some things that are like the human condition. And I think that you're, you're able to articulate a feeling and an emotion like any good writer or musician or movie, you know, script writer can do uh, in a way that a lot of people can't. And so then they connect with that. And I had a question about, you know, you, you, have, a, you have a record about loss, right? And there's not, a, there's not a person alive that is going to live their life and not experience loss. Um, right. You know, it's, it's as, as human as it possibly gets. Like we are finite um, the people who are around us won't always be around us. Um, so I think there's, there, people can connect to that. But the one thing I was wondering, and then I'll, I'll move on from heavy stuff, I promise, but, um, oh, you're fine. like, it's it, it's an interesting concept to me to, to grieve publicly, um, right. and to sort of grieve collectively, maybe if that, if that makes sense with a room full of people and over and over again. Um, right. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if you could speak to that. Like, I don't know if there's a, like ever a point of catharsis. Um, I mean, that it's, it's a really unique concept to me and something like I'll, I'll never experience in my life. I don't think. Right. I mean, writing the record was, you know, I always, I, I say this often where it was like, it was, equally hard and simple to write where it was like, there was, there was at no point, not something to say, you know? And, um, I always equate it to the fact that I've never been someone great at fully talking out what they're going through. So my way of dealing with that is always just putting it to a music or putting it to word, you know, pen on paper. Um, and so then it, it sort of becomes an expression of a different, of a different sort. Um, and, you know, we've, we've worked on those songs forever and then recording them and, and all of that. So where like, you know, I had become once the record was out, like I was, you know, numb to it in a way and then performing it live, you know, like that takes on a different, a different thing. And, and, you know, I would be an absolute liar if I told you that like every time I'm on stage and I'm singing those words and I'm like going through it, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, uh, I'm, I'm often, um, another thing is if anyone in a band tells you that they don't often go on autopilot when they're performing, they're uh, I'm going to call them a liar because mm. that happens, you know, like if you don't go on autopilot, you, you sometimes <laughs> you might fuck up the words and you might fuck up what you're playing because you're thinking too much. You know what I'm saying? Um, but what I often say is, is from, I think the autopilot thing for me is a defense mechanism because if I was to be sitting there being like, I wrote this word because of this and I wrote this word because of this while I'm performing, I would make myself go mad. Um, but what I often say, what I'm, what I'm getting to is that uh, for me, the catharsis comes from, the emotion or look in someone in the audience's face or the way they yell those words back at me that will trigger more of like a 
stronger emotion out of a performance where I'm like, oh, I can tell that that person going through, had gone through whatever, something similar, you know? Um, but at that same, on that same token, it's, there's often the, I'm not, I'm not deaf to the fact that, um, people interpret lyrics differently, which I think is the coolest thing to the, you know, above all, above anything. I think the coolest thing about music is that once you put something out into the world, I strongly believe it doesn't belong to you anymore. So, um, people will, will interpret lyrics totally differently and it, and make it their own life story, which is what we all do. Mm. You know, um, I, I, I often say, I can't tell you the amount of times I've made, uh, mixtapes for people, uh, you know, that I had feelings for these like lovey dovey songs. And then it turned out later that they were like songs about Jesus. <laughs> you know, I didn't even realize, you know, they, they seem like these like really sweet love songs, but Oh no, it's actually this some Christian band and I didn't realize it. Um, so, you know, for instance, I once met a girl who uh, approached me after a show about the song Flowers and You and told me how that song helped her with her eating disorder. And I obviously she's pulling from the line, like, you know, about uh, me arguing with my mom about eating. And and I didn't step in. I let her say her piece. And I, and I was like, that's wonderful. I'm really, that's really exciting to hear. You know, I'm not going to be like, well, that song happens to be about my mom's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would never do that. So I just, I was excited that that that's what that person took from that. And I think, um, I, I try to keep all those things in perspective when, when performing that song or when performing songs off that record or off anything that, you know, every, everyone's take on something isn't so specific to what my take was. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you have really, um, you have some really great, poetry that you've put out too. Uh, I enjoy that stuff. You know, I've got like a, a small little collection, but um, Dominic, I think his name was right from, from last lights. He, he put out a book of poetry. Oh, book. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, I wouldn't quite call it a zine. I think it's like in terms of format, like a step up from that in terms of like format, yeah. format and presentation. But when you're, when you're writing, are you pulling, like, if you're going to write lyrics, are you pulling lyrics from like the same pool of writing? Are you, are you always writing and like some ends up as poetry or are you writing specifically to the songs that you create first for the record? Um, sorry, I just, I checked on myself. I realized I have. That oh yeah, there it is. Put out. Yeah. Cool. Um, the, to answer your question, uh, is my mic still fine, by the way? Because I know I got up and moved. Yeah, you sound great. Fine. Okay. Um, no, I'm not always writing. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't look forward to writing. Like, it's, it's always, like, a really difficult process to get myself to do it. So, those poetry books, for me, have always been an exercise to keep my brain working. Um, and with a poem, I feel like there's less pressure on me to be perfect. It's more just a stream of conscious sort of thing, which is fulfilling in like a totally different way. Um, so I enjoy, I enjoy doing the poetry stuff in a different lens than, than, um, 
writing songs. The record we recorded recently took me a really long time to write because I was going through the motions of how can I possibly write a record that will have any sort of impact to even the same level, like the same level as the last one, you know? And I remember having a talk with Brett Gerowitz, uh, who owns Epitaph, uh, about that like a year ago when we start, you know, we, we've been writing off and on for this record for like almost two years. Wow. And I remember talking to him and, you know, he's like, how's it coming? And I was like, you know, to be honest, I'm like really having a hard time getting started writing words because, you know, I don't want to go through anything worse than that, you know? And, and for me, I always feel like I need to do better with each record, you know, every band wants their next record to be better than the last, you know? And, and he, you know, in one way, in one, in so many words was like, you don't need to outdo your last record. You just need to write a good record. And that stuck with me where I'm like, you're right. Like I need to take it out of my head that, that, you know, I don't have to write something as, as uh as that one um but that's not to say that i that just bullshitted my way through it for the sake of hoping it was good you know i still put myself through hell um writing it and now that it's done um i'm so so wildly proud of it and i'm and i'm and i you know lord knows when it's going to come out at this point with the whole covid thing but um, i'm really excited for people to hear it and you know, on that same note, there there's a lot of people that that I've talked to throughout the years that told me that they couldn't listen to stage four because it's just too much, which I totally get. Hmm. Like, touche fans that are like, you know, I, I love Parting the Sea I, or I love Dead Horse or I love to survive by or, or whatever. But like, I just couldn't really get into stage four because, A, I've never experienced anything like that. And B, I have experienced that and it just hurts too much to listen to. And I'm like totally get it you know so uh, maybe for those people this record will be a little bit uh easier to digest because it's not so hyper specific on anything i do say though it's a little bit of a companion piece to the last record because it deals with a lot of my life post that record what like what my life feels like since putting out that album there's some stuff that touches on that you know yeah there's a I think it's fair to say, like, as there should be, like, there was like a sonic evolution from record to record. And especially with that record, I'm like thinking of like Skyscraper has like an, an atmospheric y kind of post rocky guitar vibe to it. Um, yeah. It, is that the case with the new record as well? Um, it's, it's pretty all over the place. There is, there is some of that. But, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's, I can say with confidence that it's absolutely a touche record. Like the second you hear it, you're like, oh, this is a fucking touche record. Um, but it definitely has some very interesting, um, exploration of sounds that, uh, we, we are only part responsible for working with Ross Robinson opened up a lot of experimenting that we normally wouldn't do um, for the sake of 
having the equipment be accessible, but on top of that, having someone have an ear for it. And on top of that, having the time to do it. Um, normally, we've only ever been in the longest I think we've ever been in the studio for a record is shy under three weeks, which was oh. page four. And this record we were in for a month and then on top and then that pushed on. Um, so I think like we only turned in the record to be mixed uh, last week. So oh. we, it's honestly like with Ross working on it and editing and like having one of us come in at a time to like retract something or whatever, like it pushed almost two months, which is insane. Oh, you know, I mentioned Skyscraper. Uh, I'm a really big Julian Baker fan. I think oh, she, she writes lyrics with an honesty that's almost to the point of like being self-deprecating. Like it's, they're so honest and uh, she's like really, I don't know, may, I probably sound cheesy to a lot of people, but maybe almost like the word is vulnerable um, in a lot of songs. Did, I, I know that she also like, she's been into like, punk music also since she was a kid like did you already know her or did you reach out to her and like hey i'm in this hardcore band do you want to be on a track oh no we're old friends okay we uh we've known each other for a really long time um we toured with a band called dads and uh the guitar uh sorry the bass player from dads uh ryan uh is one of her oldest best friends so uh before she put out that the record on 6131, Ryan had sent all of us that record because um, it was like, you know, probably free on Bandcamp or I forget what it was. Um, and which then got her in touch with 6131 Records to put it out. Um, so it was like right around the time that, rec- that first record was coming out, um, like Touche played at Chain Reaction. We wanted to just do a, uh, it was 25th? Yeah, the year after my mom had passed, so it was November 1st, 2015, where I we were home for a bit, and I was like, I just want to play a show. I just want to, like, feel something. Um, so we were, you know, and that's, like, a one of our favorite clubs to play. It's a small cap room. It's intimate. We've had some of our best shows there. And we were like, who should we get to open the show? And we're like, well, we could pay, you know, whatever band a few hundred bucks to do it, and that's fun because they're friends. Um, and not to sound at all cocky but it's a situation where we were like we don't need to like have someone to help sell the show out it sold out like pretty quickly so we're like let's just bring out someone we want to hear play so we're like let's just use that money to fly out julian we've never you know we don't we just want to see her play so she can open that show um that's cool and that was the first time i got to see her perform and from then on we just became super close and it's funny she was such a badass because she uh i think it was like a it was a weeknight and the next morning she had like class, she had like, you know, a college class to take. And uh, so right after the show, uh, she like flew in, I think maybe that morning or the night before she stayed at my apartment and then played the show. And then immediately Elliot drove her to LAX to fly back so she could make it to class that next morning. Whoa. Um, yeah. And then it was so fucking cool because the time before that she was in California, she played a bowling alley. So it went from bowling alley to chain and then like six months later she was playing the El Rey Theater and then did FYF Fest and then all of a sudden she was just like so massive and so big it was so cool to watch happen uh, we're also we're also fucking proud of her and stoked for her and you know we're we're cha- we, we champion her a lot we're 
so honored to know her and be able to, you know, call her a friend. Hell yeah. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that you were sort of like the it band for Brian. And I think we all kind of had that. Or I think most people like go through life where there was like a band or a couple of bands that were, you know, pretty monumental in, in shaping their formative years or, or their youth or, you know, uh, that band for me, I feel like I, def- I have to defend my age a lot because when I, when I talk to people for the first time, they think I'm like 20 cause I look and sound that way. Uh, so I'm in my, in my early ish thirties at this point, getting towards mid and that, that band for me, like that it band in my late teens was modern life is war. And I know like, obviously like, like you've collaborated with Jeff. Um, you guys have played shows. I know you know him. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to know him now too kind of in this weird way through, through screens, like I'm talking to you now. Um, and I know you've talked a lot over the years, like people can go find all sorts of interviews on, on punk and hardcore sites, which people should support, uh, where you talk about early influences and things like that. But did, was there a singular sort of monumental band for you that was like your it band? From like childhood or for punk and hardcore or for what? Oh, it can be either. I guess maybe the one that's left the biggest, maybe sort of like the biggest imprint on you. Uh, well, I mean, that would that would probably be Nirvana, just from, you know, they were, Pearl, like Pearl Jam and Nirvana when I was a kid were like, blew my mind completely apart. And uh, Pearl Jam, I lost, I lost touch with after Vitology for, for a number of years. And then I reconnected with them just a few years ago or probably longer than that at this point when they put out that backspacer record. But, um, I mean, Nirvana for me as just, they're a desert Island band, you know what I'm saying? But as far as like aggressive music, I would say Converge is like high up there, but there's been, you know, once you're a music fanatic, there's so many records that just stick with you and like influence you and, and you, maybe those bands break up. So then you start searching for another band that's going to hit you with that same level of like, Oh shit. You know? Um, I remember modern life is war and cursed both broke up like the same year and I was ready to just fucking quit, quit, uh, quit music. I was like, those are the two most important current bands. And the fact that they both called it a day within like a year of each other, I was like, I'm fucking done with hardcore. But thankfully, you know, some one thing or another reeled me back in. Um, it was, you know, it, it was, uh, th- those two bands for me are so massive. Um, but yeah, I love Jeff, uh, a ton and he had moved to LA and we crossed paths a couple times once he moved out here um as me just being a nerd fan and then i just asked him at a show or i got his email i forget which one and if he would sing on our record and he had no fucking business doing that i mean the fact that he said yes is so nice because no one fucking you know we we weren't, we didn't know each other, you know, normally when you, you, someone guests on your record or something like that, you have some sort of a relationship, but like I came to him as a fan and then it was like within like six, six months of running into him here and there where I was like, Hey man, I'm in the band. Would you be interested in all singing on it? And the fact that he said, yes, I was so excited. And then I remember when he tracked vocals for that song, that was, he said he was like, that was the first time I've raised my voice since the last modern life is war show. And just hearing that, hearing his voice, like, scream 
through the speakers in the in the um, in the studio, I just got chills. I was like, I can't believe this dude is singing on our record. Like, oh my god! Like, holy shit! Um, and I'm still, you know, like as much as he and I are pals, like I'm still just as excited about him doing that today as as whenever. You know, me being a fan, I'm I'm I can never shake being a fan, even if I'm you know am lucky enough to call somebody a, a friend. You know. That's really cool. I mean, if you think about, you're quite fortunate to have such longevity with the band, right? So going from listening to shows and attending shows to now, like you mentioned Converge, like you're, you know, like label mates, right? And like share the stage with some of the people that you used to listen to. That's, that's kind of trippy. That's really cool. I don't know. I mean, that's, it's far and away, for me, that is far and away the most, rewarding and exciting thing that has come from this, you know, um, I, I fully am aware of how corny and name dropping and shitty this is to say. So I'm, I'm exposing myself with that and I understand, but like if, if, if I would have, if I could show like, you know, 18 year old Jeremy, my current contact list in my phone of people that I've been able to be called call friends over these last 12 years. Like I would never believe you. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, yeah. it's ridiculous, you know, getting to put out records on death wish, which is Jake Bannon's label, you know, like, like there's only like genuinely maybe two bands left that we haven't toured with that are bands that like genuinely changed my life, you mm-hmm. know? And the fact that that's the thing is crazy, you know, like getting to, stand on the side of the stage and watch your favorite bands because you maybe end up being on the same festival or more fortunate than that, getting to be on tour with them. You know, like I, I often say if I was to single out the coolest thing about punk and hardcore is it's the only genre where it doesn't take a lot of work to end up playing with your favorite bands. It's the only genre, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and in a funny way, it's because the ceiling is so low you know what I'm saying? Like, but I think that's its charm, you know, like it's, it's not impossible to, and you know, you, if you put the work into it, you can very well end up playing with your favorite band. And I, I, I give that as a lot of when people ask me for any sort of advice, which I don't often feel like I'm, I'm equipped to do. Uh, that's one of the things I always say to keep someone motivated. It's like, it's not, you can end up playing with your favorite bands. It's, it's the only genre. I, I, I'm so curious if anyone can hit, you know, I, I admit that I might be ignorant to that, but like, I, I'd be curious if there's any other genres than like punk affiliated genres that you can end up playing with your favorite bands. I don't think there's another one, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, you, I'm trying to think of like, like stadium bands that are like in the heavy realm, like, like a Metallica or something. I doubt anybody's ever going to get the chance to play with Metallica. But that being said, Baroness has toured with Metallica a couple times and Baroness comes from punk and hardcore. That's like, crazy. Yeah. It, it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the best lead. You know, if you're, <laughs> I'm not trying to tell anyone to be disingenuous and start a punk band for the sake of coming up, but like, you know, it's, I, I feel like you enter an area of, um, possible connections you know, like if I don't even know 
I mean, I'm impressed if, you know, someone who is like, I'm going to make pop music and then somehow makes it like, I would have no, like, is there a DIY pop music scene? I don't fucking know. You know, how do you, like, where do you perform if you make pop music other than opening for someone big? I, I just, I don't know. And that's my own ignorance, but like, what do you do? It seems crazy to me. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought about that. Yeah. Like where, like I make pop music, I'm going to go play where? You know, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I love punk and hardcore for so many reasons, but one of my favorite ones is that, you know, that, it, that, uh, it, uh, all things are possible if you, if you work hard. Yeah. You, you know, I love stories. Uh, I, I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the best orator. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'm the best like interviewer, I guess that's what I'm doing. I don't know that I ask the best questions, but I'm super fortunate that I get to sit down with people and like share their story with the world. And in a very selfish sense, like get to nerd out with them. And like, that's the selfish aspect of this is like, I love your band. Uh, so it's cool. I get to talk to you. But I say, I say this to say, like I was a really big Bourdain fan, um, Anthony Bourdain, obviously. And something I like about like Jeff's lyrics is like he he's often telling stories and he's drawing from places that you don't always see in like punk and hardcore bands. So like, or really in like a lot of music in the fact that like he's, you know, on witness, there's a song that comes from a graphic novel or um, like these mad dogs of glory is, is a take on a Bukowski poem. Um, and so he's like, he's really good at incorporating like his influences from multiple mediums. And I know like totally. you're, you're a really big movie buff. That's another one of those like yeah. curated lists I love to, to check out. Do you feel that like consuming things from outside of the world of music and like being a big fan of like the storytelling in movies has influenced the way that you write it all? Um, I don't really think so. Um, I, I, I'm influenced by a lot of lyricists that are much, much better at things like that. Like, I don't know if you were ever a John K. Samson fan from, uh, things for the weaker then, but, uh, he, Oh yeah. Keep, he, uh, keep going. I'm going to show you something. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I just changed before this, but, like, this was the earlier. So, I mean, in short, yes, but I'm also showing yeah. off my, my You're gears. You're holding the weaker than short, I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect. So, so then you know, like, John K. Sampson can paint a picture in your mind with so few words, and that's something I've always admired, but I just, I've never been able to tap into that. You know, he's, he's incredible. Um so I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, maybe one, maybe one day I'll try my hand at that, but I, I feel like it would seem forced, but, um, Jeff, uh, Jeff from Life is War definitely is, I mean, Dead Ramones has such visuals to anyone who's ever traveled, whether you're on tour or just doing a cross country trip that like, there's so many specifics in that song, just like little tiny snippets of things that he says where you're like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a killer lyricist. He's definitely one of my favorites of the genre. 
Yeah, I say a lot of things that probably sound cheesy, but I'm, I'm past the point of ever being embarrassed. But I go through these, especially when traveling, I love to, tra- I love to just walk around. So yeah, like I was in, in Taipei City in Taiwan, and I would just go out at night and just walk, like just walk the streets for miles, and I would put music on, and like things would become, would become like the soundtrack to, to those settings. And like, I just like hit repeat, repeat, repeat. So they keep playing. Um, and like aside is, is one of those songs, like, uh, the weaker than song, but also yeah. like right after I left, I think it was right after I left Brunei. Um, I had like thematically the lyrics to, to your song green, um, really mashed up with like where I like quite literally physically, like where I was in life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that there's a point there, but um, that's something that I had on like for for months, just like traveling around the world, sort of like being the soundtrack to the little movie of my life, man. It was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I We're also proud of that song. It was, that was, that was a fun one to just like have, we, that came out of us so quickly. Um, because we had been playing the stage four songs for so many, at that point, like two years or whatever, just kind of nonstop. So we were like just itching to do something new. And we put that song together so quick. And uh, the lyrics were born out of a poem that I had written um, called Green. So like, because I was in that same thing then, I was like, I don't know what the fuck to write about right now. <laughs> so I just like, I opened up one of the books I put out and I was like, oh shit, I can maybe rip off this. And that's what, that's what came of it. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stay on movies for a second, even though I came off of movies. I, I don't, I don't know that it's that commonplace anymore, but a lot of bands used to, used to sample. Um, sure. Yeah. And I wonder just like, again, from like your encyclopedic mind, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but like off the cuff, maybe like a favorite movie sample from a song. Oh man. Um, I mean, job, uh, Jawbreaker using The Graduate. Mm-hmm. That's The Graduate, right? Yeah, the Christopher Walken part in The Graduate. Yeah, I, I feel like that's that's a pretty pretty good one. Um, I'm going to close my window because my neighbor just started drilling. I hope that's not coming through. A tiny bit. It's all good. I've had all sorts of weird stuff in the background. Uh, um, uh, Christopher Walken doing the, the part in The Graduate is pretty great. Um I'm trying to think of another one. Um, it's funny. My <laughs> uh, one of my high school bands did that. We used a, a sample of Leonardo DiCaprio from the Basketball Diaries, from oh, yeah. Jim, the the poet Jim Carroll. Um, it's like one of my favorite poems too. And then later, you know, I get into different genres, and I found you know like screamo and you know all that stuff and. Uh, the band you and I did the exact same sample, and I was like, "Oh, oh shit!" I was yeah. thinking of the the Wonder Years sample they used, right? Is that like that night huddled in that cab? Isn't that a you and I song? Oh, uh, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember okay. what the name of the, the song is, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's that I remember the first time hearing that and even seeing that movie that that part hit me so much. That might've even been one of the reasons I thought I would try my hand at writing at all. because Whoa. I was so 
like blown away by that part in that movie when I saw it as a kid, you know, I was like, Oh my God, fucking the words in that are so good. Um, what's the last line of it? Like they clear the streets of the silence aren't of the silent armies so we could dance. And then the song starts. That's so good. Are you familiar, Um, uh, familiar with the assistant? Absolutely. Yeah. I have, I have all their, every vinyl thing they put out with seven inches and the two LPs and all that. Okay. Cause they have, um, my favorite sample ever is they have the, the fight club sample, where he's like, some uh, we all were raised on television to believe we'll all be movie guys and rock stars and blah blah blah, um, right? But we won't, and we're very very pissed off, and it's just like straight into some heavy shit. That's a really good one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like that it definitely lost on this on this era because I think it got played out pretty badly. But then on top of that, um, we're at an age where you have to pay out the ass for anything. So if you want to use a movie sample from a big movie company, they're gonna they're gonna fucking hang you out to dry with financially with using that. So yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean that that'll get your song taken down off you know YouTube or Spotify or any of those things if you use something that's copyrighted that you don't own or you don't have permission to use. Yeah, you know. So. Well, I know that. Um, I'll start to wrap it, Jeremy. Um, I know that, and, and people know that you just worked on a record. Obviously, we don't know yeah. like what the hell is going on in the world and like when touring will come back and all that stuff. Um, but like what, I guess, what can people, if there's anything to expect, expect, uh, like, do you, is it way too early to go back into the writing process? Are you like imagining like dream tours that could come out? Like once things open back up again. Sorry, you were cutting out a little bit. What was the last part? Yeah. Um, are you, are you like, putting together like tours in your mind and things oh. like that for like once, once we open back up. We're supposed to have a big state of the union call with management uh, tomorrow. I mean, it's everything is so up in the air. We had sort of an idea of what we wanted to do at the end of the year up until spring. But now who fucking knows, you know, I talked to our booking agent this morning a little bit just over you know, Instagram direct messaging where he was like, yeah, I feel like there's going to be no touring until 2021 now. And it's just so upsetting to hear that, you know, and it sucks because a lot of people listen to stream, listen to music when they're commuting. I know I do, you know, like I listen to streaming off or like music in my car when I'm fucking driving to wherever, you know, and now that everything is closed, I'm not listening to, I'm hardly using Spotify. Mm. I'm just listening to the records I have at home. So, um, it's, it, it's tough to say, you know, you fear that your record kind of gets lost if you put it out and then can't tour on it because there's so much music coming out every single day, which is wonderful, but you know, um, we're at a time where attention spans are hyper limited. So you're fighting attention spans you're fighting algorithms that are working against artists to get their music out or get their work out um, because you have to pay into that stuff to get it in front of people's eyes on, on social media platforms. Um, so it's tough, you know, like what if we put out a record that we think is our best record? It gets, you know, a, attention for a few weeks, but then, we don't get to tour on it. We don't get to do this. We don't get to do that. 
um, does our record go by the wayside then? Or do we wait and then we put it out at a time when everyone else is now going to shove out their records at the exact same time because now we can all tour. Mm. You know, like it's it's really hard to say what the right move is right now. So we're just kind of going to take a step back and see what, you know, management and everyone else thinks is the best move. But I don't even know that anyone in management or labels know what the best move is because this is all foreign to all of us, you know? It's just a, it's a fucked up time for literally everybody, unless you're, you know, a fucking, unless you're uh, Bezos. He's not the only one who's uh, coming up right now. Yeah, there's a lot of corporations that benefited when they snuck that into those bailouts too. Um, But yeah, I mean, that all makes sense. And and I'm going to have, in the show notes for this, everyone knows this by now, but if you're listening for the first time, you just... Click on the episode and you'll see links to you know the band website and places where people can go buy music and, and shirts and stuff like that because we really need to be supporting the bands that we like so that the bands that we like and the artists and, and, and people all across the board uh, are still there when all of this ends. Uh, so I want to say, first of all, thank you. Um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier like being able to, to tour with people that you were like a fan of. I had asked Jacob Bannon, like, do do you do you ever like still geek out after thirty years in Converge? And he was like, ah, these people are, you know, they're like my con- like almost like colleagues, like my contemporaries now. Like he's like, I've been in some weird rooms, man. Like over the years, like, which I take to mean like, yeah, like at, sometimes I'm in a room with like some really wild mix of people that from like bands that I've loved, and I, I, I say that to say like going back to your point with, with touring with some of these people, like that's what this is for me. And it's not just, not just with music. I, you know, I get to, I get to speak to some people I love that wrote books or, um, or photographers and filmmakers and people that like deeply and greatly inspire me. So this is my version, my version of that. Uh, so thank you for that because it, it's a real joy to do this. And again, um, if, if I get nervous at all, the nervousness is more, I really don't, uh, everyone's always a stranger. I don't want to, I don't want to let them down in terms of sharing their story and representing them correctly. Um, and so I do, I do put a lot of work into making sure that I don't do that. So I say that again to say, just like, thank you so much for trusting me when, when you didn't know me and you know, I get to share your story. Of cool. Of course. If, if we all knew each other, this place would be really boring to live on. So uh, I am happy to do it. Cool. Hey, everyone. That is a wrap on episode number 158 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Right at the end there, our signal started kind of acting weird. Obviously, all this is done remotely now that we're all stuck at home. So there was like a 10 second spend in there that got cut out. I'm sorry about that. I think you get the gist of what he was saying. It's right there at the end around like the 58 minute mark of the conversation. Uh, but we wrapped shortly after that. So uh, yeah, thanks to Jeremy. Wow. What a cool guy. This was a really, really a treat to get to talk to him and to share his story with you all and maybe some new information and, and get you excited about the, the record when it comes out, when things calm down a bit here. Thank you to all of you. If, if you're a first-time listener, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, feel free to check out some other episodes and, and to share the podcast. That'd be really cool of you. And for all the faithful Voyagers, thank you as always for tuning in. Greatly appreciate you all. 
I'm going to play you out with one more Touche Amore song that is called Skyscraper. And uh, yeah, it's a really great one. It was referenced in this episode, has Julian Baker on it. Y'all know I love her, so cool. Enjoy that song. And uh, once more, thanks for listening. As always, folks, please take care of each other. Bye-bye.
going to drop off a prescription at CVS, so I probably won't be home when you get there. <laughs>